0: do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gifts that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this, he said, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. "Men of Galilee," they said, "Why do you stand here looking into the sky?" This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you you have seen him go into heaven.
1: Thank you, Peter. So this morning, uh, I'm going to pray as we come to unpack God's Word. And, and I've given you a break for this for a, a couple of months now, I think. But because we've been talking for a while, we've been sitting for a while, I just want to encourage you to stand as we pray this morning, uh, just to reactivate our, our circulation, get the blood flowing to our head. I'm not going to judge you or, or point you out if you, don't, if you choose not to stand uh, this morning but, um, or if you're unable to for whatever reason. But just, uh, uh, just encourage us to, to, to activate ourselves in a sense that... That I said that church is a participation sport. Um, it's not a sport, of course, but uh, that, that it's something we want to participate in. And so though, though this is going to be mostly me speaking for the next little while, I encourage you to be active in the receiving, um, to seek to, to be active in receiving what God has for you this morning. So, so let me pray. Mm, Father, we, we do pray that our, our minds would be active, that our hearts would be active, that our soul, our spirit would be active this morning that we wouldn't just let your words, the scriptures, wash over us and, 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 and while we think about what we're going to do this afternoon or what we've got on for the week and things like that. Father, I pray that we would be tuned in, not, just, not to my words this morning, Lord, but to the words of the Holy Spirit, that you would have us here this morning. Father, I pray that that any of my words that are just noise, that aren't what you want us to take hold of and grab onto this morning, I pray that they would just flow over us and go out the back door, Lord. But whatever it is of you this morning, whether through my words or through the whisperings of the Spirit in our hearts, Lord, I pray that we would uh, grab hold of it, that that word would bear fruit in our lives, that we would be transformed by it, that we would go out different people to, to, to the people that we came in. And so we pray in the name of Jesus that it would be so. Amen. Amen. You can take a seat. So at the center of the Christian faith are the historical events of the the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are the events in which our faith is anchored. It's the center of our gospel. It's the core of the Christian message. It's the means through which we have salvation, the life, the death, the the, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. But we know that that's not the end of the story. In fact, that's the beginning of the Christian story. That's the beginning of a new story. It's the beginning of a new creation for all of humanity. And so this week we're going to begin a new series, we're calling it To the Ends of the Earth and we're going to pick up the story after the events of Easter, after those historical events that, that uh, are well um, attested to in, in historical records, we can trust that they happened. Uh, we're going to pick up the story after Resurrection Sunday, after the events of Easter and follow the story of the early church that is recorded in the book of Acts. And so this story of the early church, we're going to explore it, we're going to unpack it, and we're going to seek to discover what would God have us to grab hold of and shape our story based on their story. It's not that everything that happened in the book of Acts is prescriptive. That's the big debate about the book of Acts. Is it descriptive or prescriptive? Does it tell us what happened or does it tell us what should happen today? And so we're really going to explore those stories and 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 seek the the key themes of acts we're not going to go through every verse in the book but we're just going to see through that book. what does god want us to shape our lives with out of the stories of the early church and so acts is a book written by a, a man named luke um, and and as peter read this morning we're told that he 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 says in the first few verses in my former book theophilus um, and can I tell you as a little aside, a lot of it has been written about who Theophilus is. Um, put that aside today. It doesn't matter for us this morning. But in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And so this is kind of like the, the previously on part of a TV show. If, if you watch uh, TV series, um, there's a few that my wife, Christy, and I love to watch. We, we like to watch Homeland, which is kind of like a, a spy kind of show. Um, and, and the start of every show is the previously on Homeland. And it, and it shows you the key bits of the previous story so that you can kind of remember where you're up to uh, when you know... Um, when when you're exploring and and unpacking and watching uh, this episode. And so this is like the the previously on part of of Luke's writing. And, And so the first book that Luke wrote is the Gospel of Luke. And so Luke recorded the Gospel of Luke and he said his aim was to set out an orderly account of the things that had happened in the life and ministry of Jesus and His death and resurrection so that we might be assured of the things that we believe. And so he says, well, that's, that's the previous part of the story. But Luke picks up the next part of the story after the resurrection and he, sa- and he has the same aim. He wants to record the story of the early church so that we might <clears throat> have an ordered account of what took place so that we might be strengthened in our faith and believe. And so Luke picks up the story where he left off and, and, and in verse uh, 3 uh, he says... This, after his suffering, that is Jesus, he showed himself to these men, that is the 12 disciples, or the 11 now we're down to, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus rose bodily from the dead, he, he met with his disciples over a period of 40 days, and he performed deeds like eating with them, uh, like he said to Thomas, who Thomas said, I won't believe that Jesus is risen unless I see him with my own eyes and unless I can put my finger where the nails went in, my, in his hands and unless I can touch the side where they speared him to prove that he was dead. Um, and, and so Jesus appeared and said, Here, Thomas, see that I am risen from the dead. And so Jesus did deeds, but he also taught, he spoke words about the kingdom of God. And he spoke about the kingdom of God all through his ministry before he was crucified and raised from the dead. But you can hope and bet that there would have been a a fresh weight to the sense of those, those words, to the meaning of those words, speaking after the resurrection. He spoke about the kingdom of God. But we see in this story of those last days, that last moments when Jesus walked the earth in his physical body, that the disciples still had a lingering question. There was a question that lingered for them that that had not yet been answered in all of their time with Jesus pre and post resurrection. And so we can read that question in Acts chapter 1 verse 6 where it says, So when they met together they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of God? Uh, Sorry, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So the key expectation of the Messiah for the Jewish people from the record of prophecy was that the Messiah would come and restore the kingdom of Israel. That the Messiah would come and sit on the throne of David who was the great kind of epoch of, of uh, Israel's kings, the, the one they all aspired to, to one day have a man like David sit on the throne again. And, and so the promise of prophecy, the expectation from prophecy was that that is what the Messiah would do that he would come and he would sit on the throne of David, that he would restore Israel's kingdom, that he would overthrow the occupiers, which in Jesus' day was the Roman Empire, and that he would restore that kingdom. This was the key, the central expectation of what the Messiah would do. And so this group of formerly 12, now down to 11 after Judas's betrayal, who, who have uh, become convinced that Jesus is the Messiah are yet to see this core, key expectation fulfilled. And so they've witnessed the death and resurrection of Jesus. They've witnessed all of the healing miracles He did, the the raisings from the dead, the casting out demons. And they've not yet, though, seen the kingdom of Israel restored. And so after they'd seen all of this, this question still lingered, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And so we've got this kind of tension in these first few verses of Acts where we're told that that Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared for 40 days and he convinced them that he was alive and, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. But the lingering question for his followers is, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus spoke about the eternal rule and reign of God, the the transcendent lordship of Jesus that is above all things and over all things for all eternity, and his disciples were concerned about regional politics. When will you restore the kingdom of Israel? That was their lingering question. Jesus spoke about the eternal and the heavenly invading this earth and the disciples lingered with questions about the temporary and the temporal and before we're too quick to judge though it's it's appropriate for us to pause for a moment and think about our own lingering questions what questions for us linger despite all we've heard about Jesus despite all we know about the kingdom of God despite uh, miracles we may have seen despite the work of Jesus in our own lives what questions for us linger about temporal and temporary things. What things do we get hung up on? Perhaps for some of us it is, it is uh, and it's a recent debate, um, but, but for some of us it's getting caught up around marriage laws. When is God going to restore the marriage laws of our nation to the biblical kind of witness? Or maybe it's more general political than that. Like, when are we going to go back to the good old days of good Christian values been the been the kind of the, the keystone of our, our, our government's policies? Or, or, or when are, it might be more personal and localized, when is God going to bless my business? When is God going to, to bring financial freedom to my life? When is God going to, to kind of make my children be, you know, good kids? My children are good kids, but, you know, it can be frustrating at times as well when is god going to kind of shift this temporary stuff around us and so i don't know what the the lingering questions are for you but i think we all like the disciples we have questions that linger that tend towards the here and now we have questions that are a, of a kingdom of israel regional politics or even smaller than that we have questions that linger in that world when when jesus wants us to be talking and thinking about the kingdom of god we have temporary temporal questions when the questions we ought to be wrestling with are transcendent and eternal And so in the midst of the disciples' lingering questions and our own lingering questions, uh, Jesus cast a vision and a calling that was infinitely larger than any of the lingering questions they had or we could have. In verses uh, 7 and 8, he goes on to to speak of this vision, and we're going to keep coming back to these core verses uh, for the next little while, but we're just going to pluck out of that the the breadth of Jesus' vision now. In verses 7 and 8 of Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, he said to them, in response to their lingering question about the kingdom of Israel, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the disciples were focused on the kingdom of Israel, this you know, hugely important in global politics even to this day, but tiny strip of the earth. They were concerned about that and, and Jesus cast a vision for Jerusalem, which was the capital city of Israel. He, he cares about that tiny strip of earth. He, he cast a vision for Judea, which if you're not familiar with the geography of the region, Judea is the broader region uh, of Israel that Jerusalem sits in. He, he cast a vision for beyond that to Samaria, which is the, the, the neighboring people to, to Judea and Jerusalem and, and a group of people that the Jews actually hated because they were kind of half-Jews, which was like worse than being not Jew at all. Um, and so Jesus cast a bigger vision than, than what they would have, but in case they were missing the point of this ever-expanding vision that Jesus was casting, his last words are to the ends of the earth. Jesus essentially says to them, you've got lingering questions about Jerusalem, about Israel, but, but I care about those things. But my vision is now no longer just about Israel. It is about to the ends of the earth. There is no corner of this world that Jesus doesn't have vision for. There is no corner of this planet. There's no person in this world that Jesus doesn't have a heart for. Jesus' vision goes beyond just the restoration of Israel. His vision goes beyond the restoration of uh, of a portion of the Middle East. His vision goes towards the restoration of all people in all of this planet to God. And in fact, as we discover elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus' vision goes to the restoration of all things. His vision is to make all things new, not just restore a political kingdom in the Middle East. And so Jesus' response essentially to his disciples with their lingering question about Israel is, my vision is bigger than that. My vision my vision, and my calling for your life is so much larger than you could possibly imagine. And, and Jesus' answer to our own lingering questions is the same. So whatever your lingering questions are, whether it's about your business, whether it's about the town of Yas, whether it's about... Uh, you know, a political situation in our own country or in neighbouring countries, whether it's whether it's about the whole kind of political situation in the world. Whatever the size of your lingering questions, Jesus has a bigger vision and calling for you than that. And so, if we stick with the lingering questions, the church will be stuck. If we cling to these lingering questions, then then you and I, the church, will be stuck in the realm of lingering questions. But what about? But what about? But what about? But see, for for the disciples, the first disciples of Jesus, this was the last time they asked this question. They may have still had a real passion and a heart for for Jerusalem, for Israel. But it's the last time they ask this question. See, there comes a moment where we need to be prepared to let go of those temporary, temporal questions that linger to embrace the fullness of God's vision and calling for our lives. And so this is that moment for Jesus' disciples. This and the moment we're going to talk about next week on the day of Pentecost. This is the moment where they step from being concerned primarily about the world they can see around them to being primarily concerned about what Jesus has called them to and the vision he has for all of creation. And so as a church today, we we need to be able to let go of those questions that linger. It doesn't mean we don't care about those things anymore, but it means that they're not what we hold most firmly to. We need to move on from the lingering questions to our calling in God. And so Jesus, in, in, in these words, in this calling and vision, he, he makes it very clear what the calling of the first disciples is. He says they are called to be witnesses. To go back to just Acts 1.8 now, the second part of those two verses that we just read, Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. The vision is for Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But the role that the disciples are called to play is to be witnesses. Jesus commissioned his disciples to a specific role. To be witnesses of him to the ends of the earth. so a witness is one who, who gives testimony. The, the most, uh, I guess, accessible understanding that we can grab or metaphor of what a witness is, is to go to the courtroom and, and the witness is the person that has seen the events and so they put them in the witness box and, and their role is to tell everybody, tell the jury, tell those in attendance, tell the judge what they saw take place. A witness role is to give testimony to what they've seen and understood. And so for the first disciples, this was to give testimony of Jesus' life. They'd they'd lived with him over the the several years of his life and ministry. It was to give testimony that they had seen him crucified on a cross. It was to give testimony that they had had witnessed the place of his burial. It was to give testimony that they had seen that burial place empty and they'd seen the risen Jesus uh, talking, eating, living amongst them. For the first disciples, their call to be witnesses was to give testimony to these things that they had seen. And so next week we're going to explore the day of Pentecost. But just to jump into that day a little bit this morning, we can see Peter doing this. We can see Peter giving witness to these things, giving testimony to these things in Acts chapter 2. Um, in verses 22 and 24, if you want to flip over, you can, but I'm going to read it for you. But this is Peter addressing the crowd. This is his first opportunity to really step into the calling that Jesus gave all of the disciples. And he steps up on verse 22 and he says, "'Men of Israel, listen to this. "'Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you "'by miracles, wonders, and signs, "'which God did among you through him, as you yourself know.'" So they gave witness, they gave testimony to Jesus' life and ministry. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So they gave testimony to the crucifixion of Jesus. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And so they gave testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. This was their role as witnesses. But Peter understood uh, after being filled with the Holy Spirit that, that there was one more thing that all of those historical events led to, one more truth that they were called to be witnesses of. And, and we see Peter talking about this in Acts chapter 1, verse 36. In, in Acts chapter 1, verse 36, Peter takes this next step in what he's called to be a witness of. And he says, Therefore, Uh, The conclusion of of all of these events that they've testified about is, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Or, Or Messiah is the other way of translating that. The conclusion of the testimony of the historical events, just like a a jury will listen to testimony in a murder trial and, and they'll come back and go, we've heard the testimony and so therefore we can say that this person is guilty or not guilty. The verdict in the case of Jesus that the disciples are called to give witness to is that Jesus is both the Messiah, the anointed one of Israel, but he is also Lord. He is the Lord of all the universe. He is the one in which the kingdom of God has its king. And so the the witness the disciples are called to give is not just to the historical events, but but to the reality that they point to, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so that's the testimony they give on, on the day of Pentecost. They speak words of witness to who Jesus is. But the biblical story throughout Acts and throughout the whole New Testament and, and throughout the Old Testament as well, in fact, is that, that to be a witness is about more than just words. To be a witness is to, to speak words of testimony, but it's also to, to enact deeds that are consistent with the, the spoken testimony. To be a witness is both word and deed. It's not word or deed or deed or word. St. Francis is actually, well, it's apparently misattributed um, that he probably never said it, but there's a fairly famous quote that St. Francis is claimed to have said, you know, speak the gospel on all times, or proclaim the gospel on all times and use words if necessary. But the thing is, to be a faithful witness, words are always necessary. Not in every moment, but, but our deeds need to be married to words and our words need to be married to deeds if, if we're to be faithful witnesses. And, and so throughout the book of Acts, we see the witness not just in words, but in deeds. The early church shared all of their possessions together so that there was no person amongst them that lacked anything. That was a, a natural fairly supernatural probably really, but, but something that was naturally done, that they shared their possessions. It was a, a deed that gave testimony to who Jesus was as Lord and the character of Him, that He loved all people, that, that there should be no one amongst them that lacked. And so they shared their possessions at their own cost so that, that Jesus would be given testimony to who He really was. But the book of Acts also talks about supernatural deeds, deeds that, that can't be done in human ability, that also gave testimony to who Jesus was and is and will be. And so the, the, the very next chapter after Pentecost, we, we see Peter and John, uh, two of the disciples of Jesus, walking to the temple to go up to pray and they, they find a crippled man uh, at the temple who's begging for money and he asked Peter and John for money and, and Peter obviously didn't have anything on him at that stage because he says, gold and silver I have not, but what I do have I give to you. And he said, in the name of Jesus walk and so that man got up and walked and we're told that he was leaping and praising god and and we're going to unpack kind of the the signs and wonders of of the early church uh in a few weeks time but but the point i want to make this morning is that our our testimony our witness in words must be married to witness in deeds both in the natural and in the supernatural not that there really should be a divide between the two but to help our understanding and so Acts chapter 14, verse 3, um, I'm just going to quickly flip there and read for you. It just gives us this, this picture of, of what witness looks like in, in word and deed. And this is about Paul and Barnabas. It's a, it's a later story, but I just want to grab this this kind of quote to, to, to reinforce this idea that true witness is both word and deed. It, it says, so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. That's in Iconium um, which doesn't matter for today, but they spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord. They, they spoke testimony, words of witness for the Lord, who confirmed their message of His grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The, the, the message that they spoke in words was confirmed through God's enabling for them to do deeds that were miraculous. The marrying together of word and deed is what it looks like to be a witness of Jesus. And so Jesus commissioned his disciples to be witnesses in both word and deed. And I want to say to us this morning, it remains the central calling of Jesus' disciples today. We are now in this day the bearers of the biblical testimony. We weren't eyewitnesses, of the actual events, but we're bearers of the biblical witness, the testimony of those who wrote down what they had seen for our generation to take up. We are the witnesses of Jesus' life, death, His resurrection, His teaching, the prophecies that foretold of Him and the writings of those who followed Him to one another, unpacking what it meant for Him to live, to die, and for us to follow Him. We are the witnesses of all that is recorded in this book, these collections of writing, we are Jesus' witnesses to his word today. We also, as I spoke about last week, we're bearers of our own testimonies of what we've seen Jesus do in our lives and the lives of others around us. We're bearers of testimony of what Jesus has done today. It's not just a 2,000 year ago thing, it's a today thing that we bear testimony to the things we've seen Jesus do in our own lives and others. But we're also proclaimers of the lordship, the rule and reign of Jesus, his kingdom, whatever words we want to put that in. We're, we're proclaimers of that lordship in deeds. We're called to, to share amongst one another. It doesn't have to, I don't believe, look exactly the way they did it in Acts. But the principle that they embraced is that their deeds matched the words they were speaking and proclaiming. They, they didn't just speak about Jesus who loved them, they showed love for one another. But we're also called to, through God's enabling, uh, be people who expect and pray for the miraculous that our words might be confirmed uh, by God's miraculous signs and wonders. As I said, we're going to unpack that a little bit more in a few weeks' time. Um, and, and, and not to make fun of the Circle of Sisters thing, because it's not my intent, but the title of it is Keeping the Conversation Open and Actually, as I was jogging yesterday and thinking about church, I was like, nothing keeps the conversation about Jesus open more than miraculous signs and wonders, yep. about things that could not be being. Nothing keeps the conversation open more than that. And so what I, what I really want you to take home this morning, uh, if you grab anything, if you've fallen asleep, I encourage you to... To, to here's the nutshell of what I want us to take home: is that if you believe in Jesus, if you believe that He was crucified for your sins and raised to life, you are called to above everything else in your life be a witness for Him. A while ago, I, I said that taking the Great Commission from Matthew's Gospel is, regardless of what your earthly job description is your your first and foremost job description is to be a maker of disciples and so taking this from acts this is just putting that in different language that that your primary task in life regardless of whether you're a teacher whether you're a student whether you're a mother or father whether you roast coffee whether you keep books whether you sell cars whatever you do in the, in that sense your primary calling your fundamental responsibility in life as a believer in Jesus is to be a witness for him we're not just called to wait for the restoration of something be that something temporary and temporal or eternal we're not just called to wait for restoration we're called to be participants in that restoration we're called to be ones who carry the message of Jesus in word and deed to, to our own Jerusalem, our own local territory, the neighboring territories, the surrounding nation to the ends of the earth. We've, we've not finished what we've been called to as a church and as followers of Jesus until everybody has had witness to Jesus. Your life's purpose and calling are to proclaim, to testify, to bear witness to Jesus in word and deed. My own uh, personal um, kind of purpose statement, uh, borrowing from Paul's uh, language in one of his writings, is that, that my purpose is to labor towards seeing Christ fully formed in myself, in my family, in the church that I lead, and in my local community. That's as, I haven't got the end of the earth bit uh, tacked onto there, but, but uh, my sense of that is, and the way we do that is by immersing ourselves in Jesus and, and bearing witness to that. But, but what I, what I, what I want to encourage you to do is, is to put some language for your own life. That's just my way of grabbing hold of this calling for me, that this is my fundamental purpose that Jesus would be known and fully formed in in every sphere that I have influence. And so what I want you to grab hold of this morning is that is your fundamental purpose. Put it in your own words, put it in your own language, but but your calling is to be a witness for Jesus. I, I want us to to hear this call afresh as a church, just as the disciples stood on the Mount of Olives with Jesus and he said to them, and you'll be my witnesses. Uh, I want us to hear afresh this calling as a church this morning, that Jesus is saying to us here and now, and you, Yas Community Baptist Church, and you, churches of Yas, not to be exclusive in that sense, but and you will be my witnesses. I want us to hear afresh that, that calling this morning. There's another component, and drawing towards the end, I am aware of time, in case some of you sometimes think, does does Nick even look at the clock or, or things like that? I am aware of time. But there's, there's another important component of this story, of this uh, first part of the early church's story that, that we need to grab hold of and, and that's that we're called to be witnesses, but we're called to be witnesses empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is not something that we do in our own strength. Jesus made it very clear to His disciples that they weren't just to run off, kind of feel, pardon me, with enthusiasm and excitement and go, let's do it! Let's, let's go to the ends of the earth now. He was very clear that they were to wait. In Acts one, I've got it written as fourteen there. Sorry, but it's it's uh, Acts one four. He says, "Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit." And then in Acts one eight, to read it again. To ram at home, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Uh, Luke records the same event in the end of his Gospel of Luke. These these stories overlap, and in Luke twenty four forty nine, I just want to read that to you because I just love the way that um, Luke describes Jesus' words. Here he says. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. I just love that phrase, that way of describing what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, that you're clothed with power from on high. And so the Holy Spirit is the the personal presence of God that enables us to fulfill what He's called us to do. And so Jesus says, don't leave Jerusalem, don't Start out on this calling that I've given you that is bigger than you could dream of until you've received this empowerment. The language that gets used around this is baptism, it's clothing, it's, it's filling, it's enveloping, it's covering. But, but what it really means in all of that language is the fullness of God coming upon a person in the person of the Holy Spirit. That, that fullness of God filling and enabling the person. It's reminiscent of, of Jesus' own baptism that that he was baptized but then it says that John saw the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove and and that was the the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He who was God himself did not begin his earthly ministry until he had done what he is telling the disciples to wait for, until he had received the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The the Holy Spirit is God's empowerment but it's also an anointing like oil, a commissioning to a purpose And, and so Jesus says, don't Start your calling without this empowerment. Because what happens when, when we try and live out the calling of Jesus apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is it becomes something less than Jesus intended it to be. Whenever we seek to do what God has called us to, whenever we seek to fulfill God's vision for our lives apart from the empowering of the Holy Spirit, it becomes something so much less than God intends it to be. And so Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you might be like me and you, and you might think, oh gee, I wish Jesus was walking around amongst us today. I wish I, wished I lived in that time that, that Jesus walked amongst his people and just that, that tangible, visible presence of God. Just that, that things would have been so much clearer then in a sense. But, but I just want to remind us of, John's, of Jesus' words in John 16 where he, he says in John 16 verse 7, But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he'll convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, in regard to sin because men do not believe in me, in regard to righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And and so Jesus says it's better for us that he go away so that the Holy Spirit might come. And, And so as much as we might wish, oh, I wish I lived in that time where Jesus was around, we actually have a better thing than Jesus' physical presence amongst us. Because Jesus' physical incarnate presence was in one location. He restricted himself to human form, but now in this age the Holy Spirit has poured himself out on all flesh. We we all have this empowerment from God to fulfil his purposes for us. And so I want to encourage us this morning to hear those words. You will be my witnesses. But also I want to encourage us to seek to do that in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples to wait. But I want to suggest that this side of the day of Pentecost that has now become pursued. That the day of Pentecost has happened. That, that epoch in history that the Holy Spirit was, was poured out for all to receive... Has happened, and so we're no longer in a time of, of waiting for that, though we may go through seasons of waiting upon the Lord. But, but that Jesus' call to us now is, is to be witnesses and to pursue the empowering of the Holy Spirit, to seek after that empowerment which enables us to do what God has called us to do. So we're called to be witnesses, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is is the beginning of the story of the church. That's the beginning of the story of of what it means to be followers of Jesus after his death and resurrection. I just want to reread for you the end of the passage that Peter read for us before in verses 9, 10, and 11, just to to wrap up this story. And And it says, after he said this, after he'd commissioned them and after he'd said to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in their own strength, he said... It says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so this initial story ends with the truth that Jesus has returned to heaven, but but we await the day of His return. That we live in this this season of history between the comings of Jesus Christ. That we live in this season of history where where Jesus has accomplished for us our our freedom from sin, our salvation, but we await for Him to come again. Uh, The scripture says that Jesus will return coming on the clouds with glory. And so we live in an in-between time with a very specific purpose. Our calling in this time is to be Holy Spirit-filled, baptized, clothed, enveloped witnesses for Jesus in both word and deed. Because when Jesus comes again, it will not be to die again, to be raised again, but it will be to judge the world, to judge the living and the dead. History will be rolled up like a scroll. There will be no more opportunity to receive salvation in His name. We live in this time where we await the end of all things and the coming of the new heavens and the new earth. And so uh, as this time stretches out, as as we're now 2,000 years plus past the life of Jesus or in that ballpark, that it's only natural that we kind of lose a sense of urgency. Um, and, and the early Christian writers, especially Paul, are uh, accused of mistakenly think that, thinking that Jesus was about to, to come back in a few weeks' time and that's why they were so urgent about it. But actually, I think we're mistaken. We've fallen for this mistaken sense of, uh, this is just going to keep rolling on forever, where, where Paul and, and the early Christians understood that this is a any-moment thing that this life is not a game, that this life is not without purpose, it's with a clear purpose, and and that we need to live this life with a sense of urgency that as many people as possible that we can reach with the message of Jesus must be reached. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, and and this is the, the last scripture I want to read this morning. Sorry. In in another address to another group of people, uh, Peter says this, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. We're called to be witnesses to that name (coughs) because there is no other name. There is no other name in heaven or in earth through whom salvation will come and so therefore those of us who have this truth who know this truth must let people know I sent out an email this week um, with some quotes from a scholar named Adyith Fernando um, and I just want to read one of those quotes to us th- to, uh, this morning and um, these are just just a, they were just a list of um, what this biblical scholar seems, sees as the challenges of Acts to the church today, and um, I just want to read this one this morning. He says, um, "The book of Acts says to a society where pluralism—that's kind of any religion goes, anything, any beliefs—okay, your beliefs, your belief, my beliefs, my belief. You know, that's your truth, Daniel. I've got my own truth. To a society where pluralism defines truth as something subjective and personal." Acts presents a church that based its life on certain objective facts about God and Christ. Facts that were not only personally true, but also universally valid and therefore had to be presented to the entire world. I want to suggest this morning that, that in our call to be witnesses, we have a truth that is universally true. That Jesus lived, He died, He rose again, That therefore he is Lord of all. That therefore there is no other name under heaven by which anyone can hope for salvation. And that therefore it's upon you and it's upon me that everybody must have the opportunity to know that truth. And so I want to ask you this morning, church, I encourage you to stand as we're about to worship that name of Jesus. I want to ask you this morning uh, in your own hearts, do you hear that call? do you hear that call on your own life are you prepared to let go of the lingering questions about what about this, what about that what about the kingdom of Israel are you prepared to let go of that to embrace the vision and call that God has for your life whether you're a couple months old and and not understanding the words but receiving by the spirit or whether you're uh, in your 80s. This is the call of Jesus for this time, for this life, that you are to be my witnesses, empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you hear that call? Let me pray and then let's worship. Father, this morning as we begin this journey of exploring the early church, as we pick up the story after the events of all that Jesus accomplished for us I pray that we would hear the call that we would hear the call to be your witnesses, that we would hear the call and the vision to the ends of the earth and we ask for the empowering of your Holy Spirit to enable us to live out that calling with your power in Jesus name